This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Matt Woodley. My name is Matt Woodley, and I'm one of the priests and pastors here at Church of the Resurrection. I have been a pastor for 27 years, um, and over the course of my career, I've worked a number of other part-time jobs. I've worked at a New York deli. I've worked at a group home. I've worked at, as an editor and a writer. But also, for the past decades, I've also worked strictly on a volunteer basis as a low-level superhero. Um, it's true. Um, so you've heard of Batman, Spider-Man, Iron Man. Just call me Invulnerable Man. My superpower? I'm invulnerable. Invulnerable to disease, invulnerable to fatigue, invulnerable to failure, invulnerable to death, or so I think. And then something will happen to bring me back to reality. For instance, a month ago, like any good superhero, I was getting ready to come to church on Sunday morning, so I jumped out of bed. I bent over to pick up a stray sock on the floor, and I suddenly realized I could not move my back. As a matter of fact, um, as a matter of fact, I was in excruciating pain. So I called my friends, Father Steve, Bishop Stewart, Father Brett. I said, I don't think I can make it. I, for starters, I can't get my trousers on and I can't get my socks on. <laughs> the bishop said, don't worry, if that happens again, I will come over and help you get your socks on, but you're on your own for your trousers. <laughs> Father Brett chimed in on our text stream and said, don't worry, I'll help you with your trousers, you know, so I'm sure Father Steve would have helped me with my shoes. I mean, with friends like that, you know, I, I'm, life is good. When I think about my invulnerability, I think about this uh, little three-sentence poem that was written by uh, the, a Pol- Polish poet named Czesław Miłosz. Three sentences. To believe that one is magnificent. To gradually discover that one is not magnificent. Enough labor for one lifetime. <laughs> the poem was titled appropriately learning. I love that. I can relate to that. I have been on, for decades, a long, slow learning curve to discover that I'm not invulnerable, that I'm not a superhero, that I'm not magnificent. I think in a similar way, it's a really hard lesson for us as a globally connected world to discover through this coronavirus that we're not near as invulnerable as we thought we were. I read a quote from a director of a hospital in Madrid who was looking at patients just sprawled out everywhere, and and he... We have sinned. This is his quote. We have sinned from too much confidence. And he said, we never thought this would happen in a country like ours. Sure, China, place we've never heard of, Wuhan, but Spain, Madrid? How do you live when you discover that your health or your relationships or the person 
is more fragile than you ever wanted to admit. You know, the word vulnerable comes from the Latin word, which just means to be woundable. How do you live when you discover that life can wound you? That's the question that a man named David faced in this psalm that we read together with the bishop. And you get clues in this psalm, Psalm 62, one of 150 psalms or prayers that Jewish people and Christians have been praying for thousands of years. You get clues of a great struggle. You get clues that he has been in a crisis or a series of crises, and he's come out of those things, and he's thought deeply about how fragile life is. Four times in this psalm, he uses the word salvation. And in this psalm for David, the word salvation really means something more like a foundation, like a, a, what, what are you building your life on? When life shakes you, when you feel vulnerable, what is your salvation? What, are you, what is your foundation? What are you living your life on? And I'll give you the conclusion that he came to because he gives it to us right up front when he starts this. He doesn't leave us into mystery. He gets into the struggle later, but he gives, starts with his conclusion. In verse 1, he says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Now, the word silence there is not so much the absence of noise in the original language of Hebrew. It's not so much the absence of noise. It's more, it's, it, it's more like the presence of inner calm, like inner clarity. Um, I picture uh, one of the lakes in the 12,000 lakes of my home state of Minnesota. So picture a lake in northern Minnesota. It's a calm day. It's just like glass. It's calm. There's clarity. And David says, I have gotten to that point of clarity after a sense of struggle. I've gotten to the point where I know what my salvation is. I know what my rock is. I know what my fortress is. And throughout this psalm, he sort of weaves two things together. He weaves his struggles together, his, his sense of growing sense of vulnerability. That's one. And then secondly, though, he also weaves his growing conviction of where his stability comes from. So he's got his vulnerabilities, and then he's got his one stability, his one foundation. Although it's not in the direct order of the Psalms, let me, let me deal with the vulnerabilities first so you get a sense of what he's talking about. What, what made him feel vulnerable? Well, first, he says that relationships, human beings, make me feel vulnerable. Verses 3 and 4, he says, he's talking about people who had hurt him who were trying to take him down. In verse 3, he says, How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. He's talking about people who acted nice to him. They, they pretended to be nice, but they were really out to drag him down. They wanted to hurt him. They wanted to damage him. You know, as you think, if you read at all just a history of what human beings have done to each other, you read the news, what human beings are done to, done to each other today, it's just staggering what we've done to each other. But it can also get just really personal, right? I mean, people that you know and maybe you counted on that really hurt you. The writer Mary Carr, who's an essayist and a novelist, she she was interviewed once, and, and she talked, and she said this. She said, one of the chief ways all of us suffer is by loving people who are going to disappoint us and break our hearts. 
And then she talked about, she gave some examples, like maybe um, your parents went through a divorce, or maybe you went through a divorce, or maybe you love somebody and they just, they could not or did not want to love you back. And then she concluded this quote, she said, we are all heartbreaking. We are all heartbroken. It's the human condition. We are all heartbroken. It's the human condition. And so we try to dust it off. We try to say, ah, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't bother me. That never hurt. It never bothered me. But it does. It hurts. We're vulnerable. Second thing that David talks about that made him feel really vulnerable was just life itself. The fact of death made him feel really vulnerable. So verses 9 and 10, he says, those of low estate are but a breath Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Who are the people of low estate? Who's he talking about here? Well, I think he's talking about the people of literally lower social status, lower wealth, people that are poor, people that are hidden. You know, the Bible, surprisingly, when when people start reading the Bible for the first time, they're really surprised at how much God cares about the poor and the oppressed and how angry it makes God when the poor and the vulnerable are treated badly. So whether that's refugees or or whether that's the uh, marginalized or whether that's the stranger or whether that's the unborn or whether it's that those who have no home or those who have no family or orphans or what in the Bible times, the widows, God cares deeply about that. So what does it say about people of low estate? It says they, despite the fact that God loves them, they are but a breath. Think of that. And they're gone. What about people of high estate? It says they are a delusion. Why are they a delusion? Well, I think maybe because they think their lives are not a breath. That they are deluded. That they think... Death is not going to affect them, and old age is not going to affect them, or uh, a disease could not escape from Wuhan, China, and come and affect our lives and turn our economy upside down, like that doctor in Madrid said. And what does it say about them? It says that they also are lighter than a breath. You know, I've had the opportunity over the last five years as missions pastor here at Church of the Resurrection to do a lot of traveling in the developing world. And one of the things I've really seen that's really been interesting is that people living in the developing world, people in poverty, they have this intuitive grasp, much better than I think I do anyway, about a a biblical truth. And that is that the world is deeply broken and fallen. We are not living in paradise. And we, that's just not the world we have. And they get that. I think of a friend of mine named Appa Toll, who's a pastor in the Western Highlands of Papua New Guinea, who started a church for persons with disabilities. So they're not only poor, but they have disabilities. And, and I would say that Appa and people like him, they, they get this. They get the fact that, that the world is broken and there's something deep and deeply fallen about the world. You know, the Apostle Paul, I'm going to turn to this verse in the book of Romans, New Testament book of Romans. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Why are we groaning? 
Well, the Christian answer to that is we're groaning is because we know there's something wrong with the world. We know it's not the way it's supposed to be. We know, and we see that in the book of Genesis, that, that God created this world very good. But through human sin and brokenness that's just been, um, just been spreading throughout the, the centuries, there, the world is deeply flawed and broken. And not only that, but it's also not the way the world is going to be. So we're stuck in the middle of the way it's not supposed to be and not the way it's suppo- going to be. And we groan because we're longing for a better world. And people like P- Pastor uh, Toll, Tapa, Apa Toll, they, they get this. And, and I think I look at my life as I've, I've, I've been trying to learn from them. And one of the things I didn't want to admit is that I have an inherent sense of superiority often to these people, that I think my way of life is better deep down. I love them. I respect them. But deep down, I think the way that we're doing life in the modern, technological, sophisticated Western world is superior to their way of doing world because we can fix and control things. We won't grow old. We won't die. At least we try not to think about it. We won't face judgment from a holy God. We won't face that. Notice the way the psalm ends. For you will render to a man according to his work. In other words, all of us are going to stand before a holy God. We don't think about that. They think about that all the time. What does it say about these people of high estate, which is me, which is most of us? It says they are together lighter than a breath. Put them on a scale, poof, they're gone. Your life is a mist, the Bible tells us. Well, he's not quite done with the vulnerabilities yet. So he's got the vulnerability of relationships, vulnerability of life in the face of death, but also the vulnerability of our wealth. So he says in verse 10, put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your hearts on them. Now, riches are a good thing. If you can make money and if you're good at that, praise the Lord. But riches... If, you're, if you don't learn to be generous, if you don't learn to unhook your idolatry of riches, they will take you down and they will take you out. So that's why the psalmist says if riches increase, you can be thankful, you can be glad, you can see that as an opportunity to do good, but set not your heart on them. Our riches are also vulnerable. So that's the first big theme that he, that he weaves in there. May we all gradually discover that we are not magnificent. What a great lesson to learn. But there's also another thing in this psalm. That's the good news. And that is where our real stability comes from. So verse 1, For God alone my soul waits in silence. Why? From, for from him comes my salvation. Verse 2, He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. He uses that word alone four times to refer to God as his salvation. Alone, 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 alone. In other words, when it comes to what I'm building my foundation on, it's really simple. It boils down to one thing. It's God. God is my salvation. But a certain view of God revealed in Scripture, and in the person of Jesus. You know, we're all looking for a fortress. We're all looking for that. And David says, I know where to find it. And then notice verse 5 if you're following along in your Bible because he does something really interesting. So verses 1 through 2, he has this little song kind of he's singing. And then verses 
5, he's, he seems to start the song again, the same verse, but he says this. He says it a little differently. He says, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For him, for my hope is from him. He alone, he only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Do you notice what he does there? He adds three words. He says, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. What, what's the big deal with that? Why is he doing that? Well, in the first verse, he's just stating a fact. Now in verse 5, he's preaching to himself. And he's saying, O soul, O my soul, O my heart, O my inner being, O my deep self, I want you to know something because you often forget something. And that is that God alone is your salvation. I mean, aren't we all like that? We hear bad news. We hear what's going on in the world. We get sucked in to the news. We get sucked into what's the death count? How many more cases are there? What's going on in the economy? And we begin to fear. When we worry, what's happening to my country? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to loved ones who have lost jobs? What's going to happen to my job? And then we see our own sins and we see our own powerlessness. I was thinking about the words of a, a poem from Wendell Berry, the Kentucky farmer, who said, starts a poem this way. He says, When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be. Isn't that the moment we're in right now? Life is shaking. And the psalmist says, Hey, soul, stop, wait, stop, stop. Pause. Get clear. And, and I would encourage you sometime today, maybe you don't want to do it in front of people right now, but if you want to do this right now, just put your hand on your heart. Put your hand on your heart. Take a deep breath and say like verse 6 of this psalm, He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Yeah, some, some ways I might feel shaken, but it's not going to shake me, the deepest part of me. You notice how his song grows larger as he, he deals with life's vulnerabilities, but then the, the song of confidence and trust grows louder. So in verse 8, he says this. He says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. What do you do when you're anxious or you're sad or you're grieving or you're confused and you're in the presence of someone who you know really loves you despite all of the mess of your life? How do you act around that person? Well, you feel safe. You unburden yourself. You talk confidently. You just pour out your heart. Sometimes you don't even have to say anything. You just have to be there and know that that person is for you. That's what David is saying here in his relationship with God. That's what I know. You know, here's the interesting thing. So for 2,000 years, the church, the church in, I think, a brilliant move has seen that not only is David speaking in this psalm and actually in all the psalms, but there's actually someone else speaking in and through the psalms. Who is that? Well, it's Jesus who is speaking in the psalms. The church has believed this 
throughout the ages from the very early times of the church that Christ himself was speaking to us in the Psalms. So if that's true, and so he's the one that's telling us, trust in me, make me your salvation. If that's true, then that's really amazing. Because think about Jesus. Who is he? Well, according to our creed, he's God from God, light from light, true God from true God. And what did he do for us? Well, what do we remember every Christmas? He became a human being. He became a baby. He became vulnerable. And not only that, but he became a low estate person, somebody poor, a refugee, somebody marginalized, somebody woundable, and actually someone who, as the Bible says, was wounded for our transgressions, wounded for our sins. Now, I think about that, and I think, I can trust a God like that. I can trust a God like that, and you can too. You can trust a God like that. What does it look like when God is your salvation? Well, let me give you a picture, an image in my head. So my first church in Barnum, Minnesota, a town of 460 people. Many of you know the stories about the famous Finifrox. This is not about the Finifrox. This is about a farmer named Howard Ballou. Howard Ballou was a Guernsey farmer that lived out east of town near the Finifrox. And he swore by those Guernsey cattle. Here was a man who was, he was 82 years old when I met him. He, you could tell this guy had worked hard all his life. He had just had strong hands. He had big, he was a, kind of a short guy, but big, broad shoulders, big, broad chest. He had worked hard. A man who knew life's vulnerabilities, a vulnerability of being a farmer, vulnerability of is, are the crops going to come up this year? Are, are my cattle going to make it through another year? But he also knew vulnerability on a much more personal level. He used to tell me the story about his son, Buddy, who was when Buddy was 10 years old, died tragically of meningitis. And then he used to tell me about his wife, Chloe, who was his sweetheart and married over 50 years, who had also died. One day I went into his house and I knocked on the door and nobody answered. I thought, I better go in. So I walk in and there's Howard sprawled asleep on his chair with a big fat Bible open on his uh, lap somewhere in the book of Old Testament book of Leviticus. And I said, I said, Howard, hi, it's Pastor Matt. What are you doing reading the, with the Bible on your lap? He said, oh, you know, yeah, you betcha. I said, I'm just reading it again. I've read it so many times, but I want to read it again, and I want to see how God did it. I'm like, did what? Saved us, loved us, redeemed us, is for us, is going to make a new heaven and a new earth for us. Here's a man who got clear. He's got no son died. His wife died. His cattle are gone. He's not working anymore. He's struggling with old age, but he's got a foundation that could not be taken away from him. Let me ask you, how about you? Two things I see from this psalm. First, and just life, life will shake us. The brokenness of the world will shake us. Human beings behaving badly will shake us. 
Growing old will shake us. Death will shake us. Standing before a holy God will shake us. Remember that director of the hospital in Madrid? We have sinned from too much confidence. Secondly, we all have a salvation project that we're working on. There's not a human being on this planet who isn't. We all have that, a project, something that we think we can stand on. It's either a good foundation or it's just a bad foundation. Many years ago, as we read in the psalm, there's a story behind this about a man named David who got clear, as clear as a Minnesota lake. He got clear inside. He struggled, but he got clear. How about you? Is something waking you up? Maybe it's the coronavirus. I sure hope it doesn't affect you. I sure hope it doesn't affect me or my family. And maybe it's something else. Maybe it's the brokenness of the world. Maybe it's a longing for what the Bible calls shalom, wholeness, peace, the world the way it was meant to be. Maybe it's a longing. Maybe it's some unexpected grace or mercy you have been given, and you, don't, you know deep down you don't deserve it. Maybe that is waking you up. Maybe something is waking you up. I would just say, get clear. Get clear, like David, like Howard Ballou. Make a decision. If you're willing, I just want to encourage you to, to join me. I'm going to say a prayer, and just in the privacy of your home, if you want to pray this with me, feel free to do that. Just a very simple prayer. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, make, let me make you my salvation. I have made something else my salvation. Let me get clear. Let me make a decision. Let me choose you. Today, may I center or recenter my life on you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As a part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.